Good morning, Journey. Great to see everyone here bright and early this morning. If you have been uh, around here, you'll know that we're in a series. This is actually the last week of the series we've been calling Through the Eyes of Jesus. And kind of the, the premise of what we've been talking about over these four weeks is that if we want to be a follower of Jesus, if we really want to walk in his footsteps, to live the kind of life that he lived and to do the kind of things that he has called us to do, one thing that's going to require of us is that we begin to see the world the way that Jesus saw the world. That our lenses for observing all of reality are those same lenses that Jesus looked through. And here's the thing that's interesting about Jesus is he himself was obviously, he was the son of God, the incarnate son of God, God in the flesh. But he was also for us a model. He showed us what does it look like for us if we're gonna live a perfectly spirit-filled life, what would that look like for us? And so that's the lens that we wanna look through this topic this morning when we think about prayer. Because we wanna think about how is it that Jesus saw prayer? How, did it, how is it that he saw us engaging with the Father? Now it's interesting, if you look at surveys that we take around America that talk, ask people just the simple question, do you pray? The vast majority of Americans would say that they pray and that they pray regularly. It doesn't say anything about who they pray to or how they pray, but prayer is a part of the fabric of our culture. And I began to think about my own life and I thought about it long before I ever really knew who God was, I prayed prayers. I mean, I mean why wouldn't you pray if, if you thought that maybe, even just maybe there's a God out there and if talking to him or asking him certain things could change reality for you, wouldn't, wouldn't you wanna do it? Wouldn't you wanna at least give it a shot? But my prayer life seemed to revolve around things like, God, please don't let there be a quiz when I get to school today. God, please don't let my parents be waiting up when I get home. God, would you please have her call me back? God, would you help us win this game? That was kind of the fundamental level of my prayer life. But you know what? Even after I came to know God, when I look at the kinds of prayers that I pray, oftentimes things were just as similar. My prayer life most of the time revolved around me asking God for things. God, would you do this for me? God, would you give me this? And honestly, it just seemed like prayer was just such a roll of the dice. You know, you'd pray these prayers, and then sometimes they'd be answered, sometimes they wouldn't. I always kind of imagined it. It felt like sometimes, like when you go to the, the bank drive up, and they have those little canisters there, I feel like what I would do is open up that canister, and I'd put my prayer request in, and then it just gets sucked up there, and God, I know that he hears me. I know that he's opening it and he's looking at it, but how is he handling that? Why is it that it seems like some insignificant prayers that I pray get answered that don't even really matter? But then there's other prayers that I pray that are coming from the deep places of my heart. And I just think, wouldn't God want that to be true? And those prayers don't get answered. And it, honestly, it got to a place in life and where prayer sometimes became a little bit unmotivating and a little bit confusing even at times. Well, here's what I wanna say this morning. If you've ever been at that place in prayer where it's gotten to where it's a little bit unmotivating and a little bit confusing, can I give you some encouragement? I actually think that you might be on the verge of a breakthrough because I think there's something that God wants you to know that prayer is a bigger, 
prayer is much bigger than us just simply asking God for things. This last week, uh, a handful of us from our church were traveling for work. We were in Oakland, California for a week of some consulting stuff that was going on out there. Well, Friday morning, we had a flight out of Oakland, and it was a 6 a.m. flight. And so based on where we were staying, we had to get some time to be able to get to the airport. We had to get to the place where we needed to drop off our rental car. So this means that we had to get up like in the middle of the night to be able to, to get this all done. Well, based on the time that we left and the time that it was taking us, and I'm kind of a little engineer at heart, I'm kind of looking at how much time we have, and it's like, you know, we don't have a lot of margin right now to get everything done. I haven't been practicing all the stuff that Brian has been teaching us on margin. And so I'm watching the clock, and so there's a little bit of angst in me. And so we kind of got lost finding the rental car place. And then, because we've got to get the rental car dropped off, and it's in the middle of the night, so there's nobody there. Uh, we get to the place, we get it in a parking spot, and I kind of go running around looking for a place to drop the keys. I drop the keys uh, in the box, and, we've, or, and then we've taken all the luggage out of the, out of the vehicle, and we've got a long walk that we have to do just to get to the shuttle bus that's gonna take us to the airport. And so I'm watching the clock, trying to make sure that we're uh, on time and not gonna miss anything. So we walk over, we get to the shuttle bus, and we load all of our luggage onto the shuttle bus. And the gals that were traveling with us, they go to the back of the shuttle bus, and I'm kinda sitting there watching our luggage. And while I'm standing there, I realized that I had taken my jacket and I had sat it between the seat of our rental car and I'd left it there. And I was just thinking, dang, I hate when that happens. And I, and I knew because we had no margin, I couldn't get back on the shuttle bus and go back. I mean, there was nobody there anyway. So I began to think in my mind, what is it gonna take for me to get my jacket back from Enterprise Rent-A-Car? And so I'm going through all that in my mind. It's just kind of bumming me out. And so we get to the, the shuttle bus, gets us to the airport. We unload all of our bags off of there. And as we're stepping off and unloading our bags, I just shared with the gals that were there, I left my jacket in the car and there's nothing that I can do about it. And so I'm trying to find on my phone, trying to find the rental car number so that I have it uh, when I get to a place where I can call. Well, the two gals, Michelle and Jamie, that were traveling with us, Michelle turns to Jamie. That I'd, I'd already left. We're starting to take bags from the bus place into the airport. I'm taking the bags. She turns to Jamie and she said, I'm gonna pray that God does a magical miracle with, God's, with Bob's jacket. I had no idea that she had prayed that. Well, anyway, so I go into the airport and it's kind of a group reservation. So I get up to the kiosk and, and I'm getting everybody's boarding pass. All the boarding passes are getting kicked out of the machine. I grab them, I turn around to start handing out boarding passes to everyone. And there's Michelle and she's holding my jacket. And I'm thinking, what in the world? You had my jacket this whole time? She said, no, I didn't have your jacket. She said, I just looked down at my arm and your jacket was hanging over my arm. Now, I, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking there, there's gotta be a natural explanation for what happened. But this is what would had to be true for there to be a natural explanation for what happened. For one, I would have to have seen Michelle get onto the bus with my jacket over her arm and all of her luggage, walk to the back of the bus, come back off of the bus, from the back of the bus to the front with it over her arm and still not see it. Plus, Michelle would have had to inadvertently crawl to the front of the car to grab my jacket anyway, which she obviously did not do. Then we get in there, and then we had a conversation about the fact that I lost my jacket. Would it be plausible that she's standing there with my 
coat over her arm while we're having this conversation. Now, I know what's going on in your mind right now. And I wrestled with this all morning, like what in the world happened? And then it even gets worse than that because I'm processing this with God. I'm just like, this is amazing. I can't get this figured out in the natural that this would happen. And then God, as I'm walking down the sidewalk, says, I want you to tell this story at Journey when you teach on prayer next weekend. And my first thought was, no way. No way am I going to tell. Because there's got to be a natural explanation. God, I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy that weird things happen to. But I want to explain to you what happened in me. Because I just think that God wanted to do something bigger than give me my jacket. Because let's think about it. In the big scheme of things, jackets don't even matter. But this is what God did in me. I've just sensed this feeling from him in a very tangible way. I am with you. You are my child. I am with you, even in the small things in life. And I know that there are big things in your life right now, Bob, that are stressing you out and scaring you and bringing fear to your life. But can you trust me? I just felt a sense of God's presence with me in that. And I just sensed that there was a, God, you want to do something bigger in my life. And it's been fun to see just this one little instance of something very unique. And I, I mean, it seems supernatural. It seems miraculous. But let's be honest, it wouldn't even make the top 1,000 of the things that we read in this book, would it? So to think that God might do something supernatural with a jacket is not that big a stretch if we take the Bible seriously at all. But this was very personal to me. And what it's done is it's just grown in my mind my belief that God can and will do big things. He is able to do that. And here's what I'm learning about prayer and learning about even answer prayer, that there's something bigger that God wants to do than just give us stuff like jackets. God wants us to experience him. God wants us to have a deep sense of communion with him as we relate to him in prayer. And this is how I want to try to explain it. If there's only one idea that you leave with today, this is what I want you to leave with as it relates to prayer. The purpose of prayer is not for God to give us his presence. You hear that? Not to give us his presence. It's not about jackets. It's not about gifts. It's not about God just answering our prayers and giving us stuff. The purpose of prayer is for God to give us his presence. It's not the gifts, friends. It's the giver. When we come to prayer, it's not about giving God our laundry list of things that we need. It's about us experiencing him. The gift that God wants to give us through prayer is himself, not just the stuff that we get from him. What we're gonna do today is we're gonna unpack. How do we do that? How do we unpack this idea that God wants to give us his presence? And it was interesting, during the life of Jesus, there was a time when his closest followers, his disciples, they were observing his prayer life. And they actually came to him and they said, Jesus, teach us to pray. And now here's what you need to know. It wasn't like these guys had never prayed before. I mean, these, these were good Jewish boys. They had grown up their whole life praying prayers. Prayer was something that was very normal for them. But they observed something that was going on in the life of Jesus and the way that he prayed. And it brought, surfaced something in them where they just said, we're not getting it. There's something that he knows about prayer that we don't know. And they said, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? And you know what Jesus did? 
he actually taught them to pray. He didn't just say, you know, prayer is just talking with God. Just, just go say stuff to God, ask him for things. That isn't what Jesus said at all. He actually said, I'm gonna teach you how to pray. And then he laid out a model or some principles surrounding prayer that would help them understand this idea that prayer is way more than getting God to give us stuff. It's way more than getting presents from him. God wants to give us his presence. And the text that we're gonna look at today is from Matthew chapter six. And it's probably, the, it is the most detailed explanation of prayer that we get from Jesus. And I wanna set up, before we get to that section of the prayer that we're often referred to as the Lord's Prayer, I wanna give a little, a little setup and a little context to the things that Jesus said about prayer leading up to that. It says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, to be seen by men. But I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. When we pray, it's not about people hearing us. It's not about what we say or what others think about what we say. It's about us having communion with God. But when you pray, this is what he says. He says, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now I just want you to kind of tuck that word away there a little bit in your mind, that word reward. Because he says your father, he will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. It's not about the amount of words that we pray. Prayers aren't heard because of the amount of words. Prayers are heard because we're communing with God himself. I wanna go back, like I said, to that word reward. It says when we go into our closet and we close the door and we pray to our Father, who is unseen, it says that the Father will reward us. Let me just ask the question right now. If someone said, what is the reward that God will give you? What would you say? What is the reward that God will give us? For years and years, I think I would have looked at that and said, the reward is answered prayer. The reward is that God will do what it is that I'm asking him to do or give me what it is that I'm asking for. Friends, that's not the picture that we get when we unpack this. The reward is not the gift. The reward is God himself, an experience of him. Even when I share back to that story, the gift was not the jacket. I could care less about the jacket. The gift was a touch from heaven that God would say to me, I am with you, even in the small things in life. Trust me for bigger things. It's about experiencing God's presence, not just his presence. But how do we do that? How then do we amp up our prayer life in a way that we are actually seeking the presence of God when we relate to him? Not just asking him for stuff, but seeking his presence. And Jesus gives us an answer in this text. He gives us kind of a, a structure or a template for what does it look like for us to pursue the presence of God? And what I'm going to unpack right now is, like I said earlier, is what we've come to know as the Lord's prayer, but I want us to think about it maybe just a little bit differently. What is it that God is asking us to do? Because it's not necessarily, like I said, about the gift. It's about the giver. And this is how it begins. We go to the next slide, the beginning of the... This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, 
Hallowed be your name. This then is how you should pray. Hallowed be your name. There is a picture that God wants us to have when we come to him. And it's a picture that looks a lot like this. This is a picture of me and my daughter at a wedding a long time ago. She's 11 now. Not that tender and small. She's still tender, but she's just not that small. But that is the picture that God is asking us to have as we approach him in prayer, that we come to him like a father. This picture of tenderness and communion with him, this intimacy and nearness. God doesn't want us to come into our times of seeking his presence and imagine that he is this God that is far off and impersonal. He wants us to know that we can come to him and sit in his lap and sit in his presence the way that a child would sit in the lap of a father. But let me say this as well. The text tells us, it says, hallowed or holy is your name. This isn't just any father. He's tender, he's close, but he is also the holy one. He is separate, he is different from us. His name is to be hallowed or revered, to be honored. So as we come into this close intimacy with him, we also are aware of the fact that this is the Holy One of Israel. The God that just by his word spoke and everything that we see was created. This is the same God that invites us into his presence. Now you have to understand that as Jesus is teaching this to these disciples, these Jewish disciples, that there are some things that he's saying that are just grinding gears in their mind because they're not getting it. This idea that God is our father, calling him our father. Just even saying that would be something that would be totally counter to how they viewed God. We have a, a great neighborhood where I live. We just have fun with our neighbors around there, great people. One of the most fun and interesting people lives right across the street from me. His name's Steve, and he's an actual Jewish rabbi, not a, not a messianic Jew. He doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but he is an Orthodox Jewish rabbi. And there's not very many of those in Montana, just a handful. But he lives across the street from me. It is just so fascinating to get to know him. And about a year ago, uh, he invited my family to come over to take part in a Sabbath celebration with him. They have a, a celebration meal on Friday night in, to enter into the, to the Sabbath for the next day. And I was so excited. I couldn't believe he's bringing the Gentiles into his house. I was so excited. But I told him, I said, is it gonna be okay if I ask questions? Because I'm gonna have a bazillion questions. I'm gonna wanna know everything about what you're doing and why and the symbolism of all of it. And, and he was excited. And of course, I think that was part of the, the fun for him was to get to, to get to teach me on those things. And so it was, just, it was fun and we were enjoying the, the meal. And he had a... a prayer book that was kind of a playbook that helped explain to me all the things that he was doing uh, throughout the meal. And the thing that was helpful is that the songs and the prayers, they were, they were in Hebrew, but they were also transliterated into English. So I could follow along a little bit with the things that he was saying. And so as, as he was going through the prayers and the songs and, and singing those, I was reading along as, as best I could in the transliteration. I didn't know exactly where it was, but I could follow some of the words. And when he got done with one of those, I said, you know, actually, there's some words there that I recognized. And I, the words that I recognized were the names of God. And I began to say those. I like, I recognize this, and I recognize this, and I recognize this. 
And then I looked up at him and he was smiling and he was very gracious, but he said, we don't say the name. And I just thought, oh, I wanted to crawl under the table. I thought, I knew that. I knew that that's true. They so revered the name of God. It's the second half of that. Our father, they wouldn't understand, but the holy is your name. They got that. But how do you bring that together? This idea that this holy one is also my father. That's what was grinding the gears for these disciples. This idea that we can come to him as a father. And friends, I think what Jesus is modeling here is that when we come to prayer, what we don't do is we don't start with us. We don't start with our needs and our wants and our wishes. When we come to prayer, we start with God and we think about him. We think about the fact that he is our father and he is holy, he is different, he is majestic, he is all powerful. And what we wanna do as we come to him in prayer, we want to praise him for who he is. And this has been the way that has been most helpful for me to do that. When we look at the book of Psalms, there are songs and prayers that explain who God is and what he's like. And I just grab some of those and I just read them and I pray them back to God. And I praise him for who he is. And here's what I've noticed about prayer, friends. When I start with God, even if I've come into my time of prayer and I close that closet and I wanna be with my father and I wanna tell him about the things that are heavy on my heart, when I begin to think about him and who he is and what he's like, circumstances start to level out just in my heart. My, they don't change. Maybe my circumstances don't change, but things change because my perspective changes because my father runs the world. And he knows everything that's going on in my life. There's nothing that escapes his notice. And it changes how I pray. It changes how I feel. When we come to God, we don't start with us. We start with him. And we think of him as our father and we think of him as holy. The next thing that Jesus says, Matthew 6.10, he says to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not only is he our father, but he is also a king. He is a great king that is bringing his kingdom to this earth. And that's what he's asking us to pray, that we would pray that the kingdom of this great king would come and that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that great? Our tender father, he is also the king. And he wants us to pray for his kingdom to come. But I think it's helpful for us to at least ask, what are we talking about when we talk about God's kingdom? What are we actually praying will happen when his kingdom comes? And when you think about kingdom, friends, what we wanna think about is we wanna think about the rule and the reign of God. God's kingdom is where his rule and reign is made manifest, where his agenda is happening. You see that tie that, Jesus has there between the idea of his kingdom coming and his will be done. Those are the same thing. Where God's will is done is where his kingdom is. And he wants us to pray that his kingdom would come to this earth. Here's what I find is so true when I seek to pray this. Is oftentimes it's very easy to pray that God's kingdom would come out there in the world. There's so many places where God's rule and reign needs to come. But you know where I have the most control over whether God's rule and reign is made manifest. You know where I can do that the most? Is right here. 
Am I gonna let God rule and reign in my own heart? Am I gonna let him be the boss of my life? Am I gonna be about his agenda? And so there's a piece of prayer as we're praying for God's kingdom to come that the word that I think captures it the best in my mind is the word surrender. Is every area of my heart and life surrendered to this great king? Is my life bowed before him? Am I on my knees before him, allowing his rule to be made manifest in my life? That's what it means to ask for God's kingdom to come. And here's what I see also, friends, is when God's kingdom is coming in my life, it gives me the power and authority to be able to bring his kingdom into other places. Because we don't just want God's kingdom in our life for us. God's kingdom is to share. God gives it to us so that we can give it to others. But we pray that God's kingdom would come so that we could make a difference in the world. But this is what it's gonna take. Part of our prayer time is that word of surrender. Am I gonna let him be the king? Am I gonna drive my own life or am I gonna pry my fingers off of the steering wheel and let Jesus take the wheel? Someone should write a song about that, shouldn't they? <laughs> and then Jesus goes on to say this about prayer. Give us today our daily bread. Now I wanna backtrack a little bit. I've said a lot about how we don't start our prayer time necessarily with our needs, our wants, and our wishes. But the reality is, is that we do bring our needs to God. You knew it was gonna be a loaf of bread, didn't you? We think about asking God for our daily bread. Now I think about the Jewish audience that Jesus was talking to right here. And this is what I absolutely believe would be true. There's no way that they would hear that term daily bread without thinking about those stories that they had heard their entire life about how their ancestors wandered in the desert. And every day God would send down bread or manna from heaven. And there was just enough for one day. It would provide all that they needed, but it was just enough for one day. They couldn't collect more than that because it would rot. It was their daily bread. It was this constant reminder that God is our sustenance. He provides for all of our needs. And God wants to provide for your needs, your physical needs, your emotional needs, your relational needs, your spiritual needs, everything. God wants to provide that for us. He wants to give good gifts to his children. And so he asks us to come to him with the things that we know that we need and bring those to him. And I love this picture. We're talking about a father and a king. Think about this idea of, of, of a king. Who could, who could wake up a king in the middle of the night and ask him for a glass of water? If, if a subject came into the castle, into his kingdom, and woke up the king in the middle of the night for a glass of water, it would be so inappropriate, wouldn't it? But who could come wake up a king and say, can I have a glass of water? The king's kids. Nobody would think that that was inappropriate. And I think the king would gladly get up to serve his kids. So there's that picture that God wants us to have in our mind. He's our father, but he's our king and he wants to give us our daily bread. But there's a flip side to asking God for things. It's not just what is it that we need in the future, but I think there's also a piece of this where we're thanking God for the things that he's done in the past. It's not just what we need, but God thanking thank you for what you've already done in my life. And now Jesus doesn't explicitly say it here. I think it's more implied, 
But Paul actually makes this very explicit in Philippians chapter four. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition. Petition meaning asking God for the things that we need. But then he says, with thanksgiving. This is how we bring our requests. We bring our requests with thanksgiving for what it is that God has already done. Present your requests to God. And then what's God gonna do? He's just gonna give us everything that we ask for, right? This is what Paul says. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What is he saying that God is gonna give us when we come to him with our requests? It doesn't mean that everything that we ask for, we're gonna get. But there's a peace that's gonna come over us. And friends, that peace comes as God pours out his presence. His presence in our lives is what brings peace to us, not getting stuff. It's about experiencing him, the peace of his presence. And then Jesus goes on to say this, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Who doesn't need an eraser in their life? And I, I don't know if this is close enough to be able to see, but it's written on this for really big mistakes. Don't, don't all of us need these? If any one of us were to think about our entire life, don't we need to know that there's an eraser in life? And what Jesus is saying here is that sin in our life keeps us from experiencing the presence of God. Sin between us and him and sin between us and other people keep us from experiencing the presence of God. The psalmist said it this way in Psalm 66. He said, I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. When we hold on to sin in our life, it keeps us from experiencing the power and the presence of God. We don't experience that intimacy with him. Now there's something I wanna make absolutely clear when I say that, it doesn't mean that we're not his child. When you bow your knee to Jesus and you say, I'm gonna make you the king of my life and we step in out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light, what we know from scripture is that all of your sin is paid for. Past, present, future is paid for by what Jesus did on the cross. But what can happen is if we allow sin to take root in our life and we cherish it in our heart, it can keep us from having fellowship with God, intimacy with him. If you were here last week, Chris preached about the prodigal son. And I think that's a great picture of what we're talking about here. Was he ever not the son of the father? No, he was always the son. But there was a time where he was not experiencing fellowship and intimacy with the father. What it required of him was there was a turning in his life, a turning, a brokenness that led to confession and repentance and moving back to the father. And the father was there with welcome arms to embrace him with a big eraser in his hand. That's the picture that we need to come to in prayer. And what we wanna do is when a part of our prayer time has got to be where we honestly, just naked before God, throw our arms wide open and say, God, is there anything in my life? Is there anything in my life that is keeping me from experiencing you? And just ask him to shine the spotlight of his truth into the deep places of who we are. And just say, reveal it, God, because I don't want there to be anything there. 
We don't have to go on an internal witch hunt. God will be gracious. He will show you what it is. He will bring it to your mind. And our job then is to bring that out of the open with God and with other people and get right with him and with others so that we can experience his presence. The next thing that Jesus says is this. He says, and lead us not into temptation. We need Jesus to lead us. We need Jesus to lay out this map for us. If we're gonna be about bringing his kingdom to this earth, we need Jesus to show us, how, Jesus, do you want me to do that? Father, reveal that to me. And this is what that means, is there's gotta be a place in prayer where we listen to what it is that Jesus has for us, what it is that he is asking us to do. And I love that metaphor that Jesus gives us in John chapter 10 when he talks about our relationship with him like a shepherd and a sheep. How does he describe his sheep, his kids, the one that he's the father of? He says that they hear my voice and they follow me. Their ears are tuned to my voice and they follow me. They follow me in obedience. And he says they will not follow another voice because they don't recognize it. They won't follow the voice of a stranger because they don't recognize it. Friends, we've got to be the kinds of people that learn how to listen for the voice of God. Just think, think about this. Think about it this way, because prayer sometimes, we can always just think about talking to God. But imagine this picture. Imagine you're a couple. Okay, imagine if you're the wife of a couple, and you're driving somewhere, and it's a very important engagement that you need to get to, and two things are happening. One, you're late, and the other is you're lost. And you're in your side, and you're praying that a miracle will happen, and your husband will actually pull over to ask for directions. And then God's kingdom breaks in in power, and he pulls over to ask for directions. But he rolls down the window, and he starts to tell the person that he's talking to all the things that are happening. This is what I need directions for. This is what we're doing. This is why we're late. It's not really my fault. It's someone else's fault. And then he rolls up the window, and he drives away. And he never hears the directions. Wouldn't that be the craziest thing? for a person to do, if they really wanted to be led, if they really needed direction. But that's what I think it is if we're just asking God for stuff, but we're not learning how to listen to his voice. And Brian said it in the video earlier, these rhythms that we're trying to develop in our lives where we get up in the morning and we begin to think about reading God's scripture and asking two simple questions. God, what is it that you wanna say to me? And God, what is it that you want me to do about it? That rhythm in our life that we learn over time to hear the voice of God and respond to it. We need to be those kind of people that listen and not just talk to God when we pray. And the last thing that Jesus said is this. He said, but deliver us from the evil one. What we need to understand, friends, is that there is a very real kingdom of darkness, and there's a very real kingdom of light. And if we wanna be about bringing God's kingdom to this earth, if we really do wanna pray that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done in our lives and then through our lives, we have to understand that there is a battle against a very real enemy. And he's powerful and he wants to take you out. He hates God. He absolutely hates God. And so he hates what God loves, and God loves you. And if you wanna be a part of bringing God's kingdom, there is gonna be resistance. A piece of our prayer has got to be us actually pushing back the darkness and praying that God would push back 
the things that the enemy is doing in our lives and in the lives of others. Spiritual warfare type praying because the battle, friends, is real. And there is an enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy you because he wants to stop the spread of God's kingdom. That's kind of the template that Jesus has laid out for us. And you can see that prayer isn't just about us asking God for stuff. It's not about his presence. It's about us experiencing the very presence of God in deep communion with him. But this was the most difficult thing for me about writing this sermon is that none of us in this room is gonna learn to seek the presence of God or learn how to pray by hearing sermons on prayer. What I've said to you is probably gonna be very little help unless you actually take a couple of these things and just say, how am I gonna begin to build this into the rhythms of my life? Am I gonna create margin in my life where I actually go to that closet place and close the door and seek the presence of my Father? Or am I just gonna leave here and kinda keep doing the things that I've always done? It's gonna take some time. Friends, any discipline that we learn in life, whether it's exercise or eating healthy, learning to play an instrument, maybe learning a new sport, all of those things take discipline. And sometimes at very first, it feels a little bit unnatural. But this would be my encouragement to you to press into this. Take this picture that you see there and maybe just lay something like that out in front of you and begin to pray around this picture. Pray around the Lord's prayer, seeking his presence in the ways that I've described to you. One thing that we've done around our house is I've just been thinking about how, how do I begin to build this into the lives of my kids? And so around our dinner table, I've kind of taught around this, kind of the same way that I did with you. But each night around our dinner table, then we'll just take one aspect of prayer and every one of us around the table will pray that just for a couple minutes, but starting to build those rhythms into the lives of people that I love. And friends, I wanna see, you are people that I love and I wanna see those rhythms built into your life as well. I wanna just ask you right now to set your things aside as we wrap up here. And I just wanna give you a couple of minutes and here's what I want you to do. If there's something that the Spirit of God grabbed your attention with today, something that you need to express to God, I just want you to take a minute now and just tangibly do that. Father, I just want to quiet my heart right now and just, I just want to say thank you that you give us the right and the privilege to call you our Father because we know that you are holy, you are majestic, you are completely different than us, you are powerful in all things. 
but it's an incredible invitation that you give to us to come to you and to just be in your presence. Father, I just want to declare with everything in me that I want more of you. I want to experience more of you. God, thank you that you've helped us to understand what does it look like for us to invite your presence into our lives and to engage with you and to experience communion with you and intimacy with you. It's an amazing gift. God, we want your presence, not just your presence. And it's in your powerful name that we pray. Amen.